All right, here we go. We're going to finish up Psalm 16 tonight uh, in our study through the book of Psalms. Part 1 last week, we made it through verse 6, so we're going to pick up in verse 7 tonight. But I want to kind of do a little recap, just a little bit of a review of last week's study to kind of catch everybody up. Uh, We talked a little bit about Psalm 16 being the first mictum psalm, and we see that uh, in Psalms 56 through 60 as well. Uh, that word is an unusual word. It's not found anywhere else in, in literature, only in the book of Psalms. But, uh, you know, we're not sure of the meaning. Scholars are kind of all over the place on that. Uh, some think it means just a poem. Some means uh, think it means golden or a stamped or engraved uh, type of uh, stamp. So we don't really know. But if we take all of what the scholars say about that word, I think we can just say that it's important. You know, a mictum psalm is important. And when we get to Psalm 56 through 60, it's very specific in the title as to what he's talking about. In Psalm 16, it's very general. Although as you move through the psalm, we understand that it's very much about Christ. Because Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. And it's the third messianic psalm that we've come to so far in our study. The first two being Psalm 2 and Psalm 8. Uh, So just to review from last week a bit, verse 1 talks about God preserving those who put their trust in Him, right? So the believer is secure in their salvation. God preserves those people who put their trust in Him. Verse 2 told us that David had settled his soul on the very fact that the Lord is his Lord. That's an important distinction. The Lord is his Lord. So God is no longer distant. He is personal. He is my Lord. You hear people say all the time, I believe in God, but is God your God? Is is it personal? And so David makes it personal in verse 2. Verse 3, David declares that the saints on the earth are excellent and that he delights in them. And that got me to thinking, you know, how many of us can say that? How many of us truly delight in the people of God? We should. We should delight in one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. John, in fact, said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, He who loves God must love his brother also. Okay, in verse 4, Psalm 16 tells us about the sorrows that multiply on those people who chase after and hasten after other gods with a little g. So the people of God, we need to be very careful to live according to the scripture rather than to live for just the passing pleasures of sin, so to speak, as Hebrews 11:25 tells us. Those who are hastening after other gods are typically looking for quick pleasure, something temporary, right? We want to we want to live for eternal joy, not temporary pleasure. David said that he wouldn't even take the names of these pagan idols upon his lips. And so I wonder sometimes if as Christians, do we spend too much time talking about sin? Do we spend too much time talking about the world and not enough time speaking the truth of God into the world? David said, I won't even take the names of these people on my lips. Verse five, he said that he confesses that the Lord is both the portion of his inheritance and his cup. And so what we learn from that is God is going to provide everything that we need today and for all of eternity, right? God will maintain our lot, as the word says. So take heart, believer. The maintenance plan for your life is in the very capable hands of God. In verse 6, David admits that he has a very good life. And we talked a little bit about that uh, at the end of our study, just how good we have it. You know, David says that he's content with what God has given him. And that's such a great lesson to learn, especially as believers. Be content with where God has you. Okay. In other words, understand that he's going to take care of you. 
It doesn't mean that, that you shouldn't ask him for more. We can make our requests known to God. That's a beautiful privilege we have. But also, don't ever lose your contentment with where you're at. Uh, so don't get uneasy about that. Trust the Lord in those uh, situations and circumstances that you find yourself in today. Okay, so that gets us to, to verse 7. And now David begins to thank God for his counsel and his instruction. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart instructs me in the night seasons. Okay, so we learned that the wicked... If you remember, way back in Psalm 1, the wicked get their counsel from ungodly sinners. That's Psalm 1, verse 1. But David here rightly takes his counsel from the Lord. And so we got to be careful where we get our counsel, don't we? we got to be very careful. Not all counsel is good counsel. So we need discernment, okay? Just like all news is not real news, right? <laughs> okay? And not everything you read on the internet is true. Okay. Amen. I got an example I want to share with you about that. Okay. I picked this up off of Facebook where, you know, it's true if it's on Facebook, Right. but, <laughs> but I read this and, and I, this is from what I'm going to read you is from a young man that used to be in my youth group a long time ago. And I'm super proud that he posts stuff like this, but it's cause he gets it. Okay. This is a flyer right here. It's got this gentleman's picture on it. And here's what it says in the description. In 2012, this man had closed door meetings with Joe Biden to patent a vaccine known as the CV-19, which could be used to trace select citizens. What did they know? What were they planning to do? Stay aware. And then you read a little further. By the way, none of this is true. This is actually a photo of William A. Mitchell. He invented Tang, Cool Whip, Pop Rocks, and Instant Jello. So stop getting your news from memes and Facebook and go do some research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the point of that is let's use a little discernment, okay? When we're searching for facts, uh, let's not just um, be too gullible. Let's use discernment. Test everything against the Word of God to see if it's true. That's Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And I want you to notice something here. David doesn't just listen to God, right? Verse 7, he doesn't just listen to God. He actually takes what God says to heart. Okay, so this means that David took the counsel of God and he applied it to his life. And that's very important as believers that we understand that simple principle. This is the practical aspect of Scripture, okay? This is why we read and study the Bible, not to get more up here, but to get more in here. We don't want to just gain head knowledge. We've got to gain heart knowledge. The Word of God is to be taken to heart so that it can be lived out practically in our day-to-day -day life. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart, not in my head, but in my heart. Why? So I can feel all warm and cozy and fuzzy inside? Why would we hide it in our heart? So we can have all the feels and we can get emotional? No, it's so that we might not sin against God. Okay, so that's why we hide it in our heart. God's counsel, God's instruction, when taken to heart, will importantly and necessarily affect the way that we live. Okay, so when we take God's truth to heart, it affects how we live. It affects the decisions that we make. Uh, it will conform us more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to help us get through the most difficult times that we have in our life if His Word is hidden in our heart. So when David says... 
When David says, my heart also instructs me in the night seasons, check this out. He is gleaning from the truth of God's word that's already been hidden there, right? The truth of God's word has already been hidden there. Not to mention that God is going to visit him in the night. We're going to see that in the next psalm when we get to Psalm 17, verse 3. But if you want help getting through those difficult night seasons in your life, then you've got to get in the word of God. You've got to meet with him daily, right? Hide his word in your heart, and then it will guide you. It will instruct you when you need it most. Verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Okay, so I want you to notice here that this is a conscious decision on the part of David to put the Lord first. Okay, I have set the Lord David says, always before me. And note that there's never a time when the Lord is out of reach or unavailable here, okay? Because David has, David said that he has set him always before me. So God is constantly before me. And many Christians today, they only want God to be there when they need him, right? Don't call me God, I'll call you. Uh, whenever I'm in trouble, I'll probably pray. I'll throw up a few prayers or whatever. But how many Christians can honestly say, I want God always before me always so david's desire here is to have god with him always and that's to mean in every single area of his life right as believers we got to want god to invade every dark corner of our heart and clean out every sinful secret all of it okay there should never be an aspect of your life as a believer or an area of your heart where god is not invited in he should always be before you. Not only that, David said, I have set the Lord before me. And that's important because, I don't know, maybe you heard this. This used to be popular years ago. There was a bumper sticker that said, God is my co-pilot. Oh man, I hated that bumper sticker. Okay. No, that's not true. You know, you've seen t-shirts, you know, Jesus is my homie or my homeboy. Or, all of that stuff just drives me straight up a wall. Okay. We've got to get out of that mindset. We have got to get out of that mindset. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He is the pilot, period. He's not your homeboy. He is your boss. Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't put Jesus in our pocket and take him wherever we want to go. We go where he tells us to go. We do what he wants us to do. We go where he sends us. We follow him. He is before us, right? And that can't happen unless he stays before you. So again, don't be looking around for more bad advice. Don't go around seeking unbiblical counsel. Don't look to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes on the Lord who should always be before you. Never take your eyes off Jesus. Our relationship with the Lord should come before anything else in this world. That should come number one. Our obedience to God is dependent upon always keeping him first. That is to say, before us, right? Now, if you think about this in light of Christ, I always say, you know, think about Jesus. Look for Jesus in the Psalms. He's everywhere. This is definitely a Messianic Psalm. So as this part here relates to Christ, we could say that only Jesus did this perfectly, right? Only Christ lived this way perfectly. But that's where we begin to see the prophetic and the Messianic nature of this Psalm because verse 8 describes the life of Christ, okay? Which is to be an example, obviously, for all of his followers, David continues in the second half of this verse, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Okay, so to be at somebody's right hand, that is to mean you're in a position of power. You're in a position of authority. With Christ at our right hand, we have security. We have stability. The word says we shall not be moved, right? 
So as a believer, not only is Christ before me, but he's also beside me. He's before me in the first half of this verse. He's beside me in the second half of this verse, which is to say that he is my Lord and he will supply all of my strength. Right? He's before me in the sense that he's my Lord. He's beside me in the sense that he is my strength. So, I mean, with that kind of protection from the Lord Jesus Christ, guys, we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have to sweat the small stuff, right? He's got this. Now, again, as this relates to Christ, Christ had the strength of his Father, okay, while he was on, on the earth, which allowed him to accomplish his Father's will without being moved off course by the enemy. I shall not be moved. Jesus was not swayed off the course that the Father had set for him. Jesus drew upon the strength of his Father. And this tells us that when we set the Lord as priority number one in our life, then he resides at our right hand in complete power and in complete authority. He provides us with perfect strength, and He provides us with perfect protection. And so this results in a life that's going to be lived in God's presence at all times. And if that's the case, then guess what? You shall not be moved, according to verse 8. Verse 9, Therefore, David continues, My heart is glad. I mean, that should give us reason to rejoice, right? If Christ is before me and Christ is beside me and I shall not be moved, we can say with David here in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. So here we start to see some of the benefits of putting Christ first in our life, okay? This type of commitment, it results in a heart that is glad. It results in a glorious rejoicing. And I want you to remember the results of those who, who hastened after other gods. Remember what the result of that was? Those who chased after other gods, the idols, in verse 4, their sorrow was multiplied. Okay, That's the result of chasing after your idols. Sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. The results of having Christ first in your life is gladness and rejoicing and hope. Right, So the believer, our heart will rejoice and it will be glad. And not only that, David says, my flesh... My flesh will also rest in hope. And so those who are in Christ, we're going to rest well in those night seasons of our life. Verse 7. That's the tough times. That's the, that's the valley. Okay? But we're going to rest in those times. And not only that, we're going to rest in death with eternal hope. That's what he's talking about here in verse 9. This is a very, very beautiful truth, believer. It's important to realize that the decision to follow Christ and put Him first in our life, it does come with a cost, but... The result is peace. The result is hope. The result is being able to count on Christ to go before you and stand beside you in protection. Okay, so whenever our heart is glad, we have much reason to rejoice and so on and so on. And this doesn't end when we're facing the grave. David says, my flesh will also rest in hope. What could he possibly be talking about? Death, right? We can stare the grave in its face and have hope. We don't have to fret that. We don't have to be anxious about that. Now, of course, to follow Christ, to put Him first, to live a life that's pleasing to Him, to be in complete obedience to Him, it comes at a cost. I like what David uh, Guzik says here. He says, following Christ, it may cost you certain pleasures. It may cost you popularity. It may cost you anonymity. Following Christ may cost you family relationships. It may cost you life goals. Following Jesus may cost you career choices. 
It may cost you financial priorities and on and on. And he's exactly right, okay? But look, if we're to run a cost-benefit analysis of following Jesus Christ, what are we going to find out? The benefit of following Christ far outweighs the benefits of chasing after our idols. Okay? And it's not even close. It's not even close. I don't know about you, but I think I would much rather have a glad, rejoicing heart, a heart that rests in eternal hope, right, than any of those temporary pleasures that the world has to offer. Um, many of you may be like me and have tried some of those pleasures that the world has to offer, and not one of them will eternally satisfy your soul, okay? It's going to be just like chasing after an idol. Sorrow will multiply upon sorrow, and on and on and on, until you come to Christ and He becomes number one in your life, then you have that peace that surpasses all understanding. Now you have a heart that is glad. Now you have true joy and you can rest in hope eternally. The only hope for any dying person, and I don't care who it is, the only hope for any dying person is Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, I can't imagine being on my deathbed and not know Christ. I can't imagine that. And so I hope none of you have to face that. But the only hope for any of us is Jesus Christ. And then the truth is, is if he did not raise from the grave, okay, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then none of us have any hope at all anyway, right? None. Paul talks a lot about that in some of his letters. But the truth is, he did. And because of that, those of us who have put our trust in him, then we can now lay down and die peacefully. Our flesh can rest in hope. We can be joyful and it's all because Jesus rose from the grave. And we're getting ready to talk a little bit more about that. But because he rose, one day we will rise. We will rise, okay? Death is not the end for the believer in Jesus Christ. Christ is our eternal hope. And so again, as we think about this psalm prophetically here in verse 9, verse 9 speaks to the death of Christ, okay? Verse 8 spoke to the life of Christ, Verse 9 speaks to his death. And this, again, I think gives us great hope as a believer because, again, if Christ, who is our Messiah, he is our Redeemer, if his flesh, if he was able to rest his flesh in hope, then so can we, right? So look at this again. Look at verse 9 again. This verse speaks to the bodily resurrection of both Jesus Christ and the believer in Jesus Christ. And we need to praise God because the grave has no hold on the follower of Jesus Christ. David spoke about bodily resurrection. Verse 10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Okay? So we talked a little bit last week. David's soul was so settled in God that he believed that God would not leave his soul in the grave. Now that's what Sheol means. It's the place of the dead. It just means the grave, okay? David, his soul was so settled. He was so sure of this and so confident that he believed that God would not leave his own soul in the grave. I mean, he believed in life after death in the presence of God. This is kind of a rudimentary thought an Old Testament view of this, right? But David believed in the afterlife. Today we have a more clear picture of what that looks like because of New Testament revelation, okay? But David expresses the truth of eternal life the best way he knows how, right here in verse 10. And I want you to remember, Abraham did this same thing. He, re he expressed this kind of faith in regard to his son Isaac. You remember that? Yeah. We read about it again in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac up from the dead. What do we call that? 
resurrection. Okay, so the truth is that all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, teaches us that the hope of the believer is an eternal hope that lives beyond the grave. Our life doesn't end when the grave begins. We live beyond the grave, right? He continues, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Okay, now, whether David knew he was prophesying or not, I don't know. I'm not sure, but... This right here, this portion of the scripture, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, this was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? He fulfilled this prophecy. Peter points it out in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 31. Jesus was the Holy One here that David talked about because Jesus was the only one without sin, Hebrews 4.15. He did not see corruption because death had no hold on him, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Okay, And so this speaks to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, no doubt about it, which was the Father's stamp of approval on the work of His Son on the cross for the redemption of our sin. Okay, Think about this for a minute. I don't know that Jesus thought about this psalm when He was on the cross, but as I was reading through this and studying through this psalm, I imagined in my own mind Jesus thinking about this psalm when he was on the cross. And so think with me for a minute. Just imagine if Jesus was praying through this psalm on the cross, okay? Putting his complete trust in the Father, knowing that he will preserve him. That's verse 1. Setting his soul on the fact that God is good and that he belongs to him. That's verse 2. Knowing that he's sacrificing his own life for those very people that the Father calls saints and considers them to be excellent in whom is all his delight. That's verse 3. Praying for those who have hastened after other gods. Verse 4. Looking forward to his portion in glory with the Father while accepting the cup of wrath which was his lot in this life. That's verse 5. He was obedient to the Father's will. The very line that had fallen to him, right? Trusting in the inheritance to come. That's verse 6. Having his heart instructed by the counsel of his Father in this very, very difficult night season. The wrath, the pain, the torture, the struggle against the enemy of sin. That's verse 7. But nonetheless, he always set his Father before him, knowing that he is at his right hand, and he shall not be moved. Verse 8. Therefore he faced death with his heart, being glad, rejoicing in the fact that his flesh would rest in hope. Verse 9. Because his father will never leave him, he would not allow him to see corruption, he would in fact rise again. Verse 10. I can just imagine Jesus thinking about this psalm on the cross. Again, I don't know if he did or not, but it's, it's a beautiful picture of the life of Christ and the life that he lived before his father. I just can't believe all that Jesus went through so that we could have eternal life in him one of my favorite passages in the entire bible is first peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 which says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's First Peter chapter three. I'm sorry, First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. So, guys, because He lives, we can have eternal life in Him. Amen. Verse eleven: You will show me the path of life. David says, "In Your presence is fullness of joy. At Your right hand are pleasures forevermore." So again. 
we need to take heart as believers in Jesus Christ because he will show us the way to where he is. And where is he? Of course, he's in glory. He's in heaven. We're going to go where he is and uh, he's going to get us there. We can rest in that hope. In your presence is fullness of joy. So this joy can be found both in this life and it can be found in the life to come, right? But where can it be found? Only in his presence. Only in the presence of God is there fullness of joy. How often do you stay in the presence of God? Do you want to linger there? Do you want to live there? Outside of the presence of God, there is zero joy. There's no joy to be found. Okay, you might find temporary happiness, but you will not find true joy outside of the presence of God. This again is why we should set the Lord always before us. Verse 8. Live in the presence of God each and every day. Okay, remain there. Abide in me. Remember John 15? Abide in Christ. Okay, that's where the fullness of joy is, is in the presence of God. So, you know, as we read through this, I'm just reminded that, guys, there's nothing else out there in this world that can make that promise. Nothing. There's nobody else that's going to promise you that. And there's nothing else that can guarantee that, okay? Drugs, alcohol, relationships, pornography, your career, wealth, nothing. Nothing can make you that promise. Only Jesus Christ, right? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We know that from John chapter 3, verse 13. And we see here in verse 11 that this prophetically speaks to the ascension of Christ. So I want you guys to this week go back and read through this psalm and think about the life of Christ. This is a great depiction of his entire life. Verse 11, talking about his ascension, David said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, who's at God's right hand? Jesus. So the fullness of joy and eternal pleasure that David speaks of here can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can stop looking around, right? We don't have to shop anymore. We can settle on the fact that if we want joy, then we need to be in the presence of God, don't we? We need to put our trust in the Lord. He will preserve us. And we need to live our life in the presence of God. We need to get out of that mindset of, We'll get a hold of God when we need Him. The truth of this is we always need Him. Okay, so we need to be in His presence at all times, living in that eternal joy. And um, that way when we come to the end of our life, okay, and we're all going to get there at some point, then even our flesh will be able to rest in hope. There's no fear in death. Okay, not in the presence of God. Not in, the, not in His presence. What is there? Fullness of joy. So we can even look the grave in the face and have joy knowing that our hope is eternal. It doesn't stop when our eyes close in this world. Okay, and we're going to see in, in Psalm 17 when we get there about our inheritance when we awake in His likeness. See, we can face death here when our eyes close with the eternal hope of everlasting life when we awake in His likeness. We'll find that out in Psalm 17. Father, we're grateful to have this uh, little bit of time here in your word this afternoon. Thank you for the truth of it. Help us, Lord, to take some time this week to go back through this psalm and just meditate on it, think about it, and to do that in light of the life of Christ. Uh, Help us really to understand all that you have done for us in order to secure our eternity. Um, Eternal life starts at the moment we believe, but, but it's eternal. It goes on forever. And so this hope that you have given us, Lord, 
is eternal. It will not end. So when we go through those night seasons of life, when we go through the, the valleys, the tough times, help us to remember, Lord, we've put our trust in you and you've promised that if we do that, you will preserve us, that we will have hope that's eternal, that we can rest in hope. So, Lord, would you please just give us the peace of Christ. Help us to live our life in boldness and in faith, but never, ever in fear, but always in hope. Lord, knowing that you are before us and that you're beside us. What is there for us to worry about? Lord, you're our protection and you're our provision. We have no needs except for you. So, Lord, help us to live in your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Mm -hmm.